Welcome to Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? with your host, Jeff Stein. This program really does uncover the sometime myth that all are innocent until proven guilty. The truth is that many innocent people are found guilty of a crime that they did not commit. We discuss the judicial system, its flaws, and where it could be made better. Now, here is Jeff Stein. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to episode one of Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? I appreciate all the listeners this morning. There are many wrongful arrests and convictions in the United States. This show is going to address things that can be fixed and how. We'll talk to victims of wrongful arrests and convictions, witnesses, people involved in the judicial process, and try to create an understanding that our current judicial system is not truth and justice for all. And that everyone needs to be aware this widespread problem in our country does not discriminate against race, religion, sex, or nationality. Anyone can become a victim to the judicial system because of false or coerced statements, ineffective assistance of counsel, lackadaisical police work, prosecutorial misconduct, jailhouse snitches, deceitful witnesses, and even dishonest expert witnesses. Today, I'm extremely excited. We have Raymond Seneca Wooden as a guest to share his journey of being charged with crimes he did not commit and how he fought the system to prove his innocence after spending five years in jail. There's a lot to talk about, so join us for a jam-packed kickoff to Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? Good morning and welcome to the show. Raymond, how are you today? Um, How you doing? How you doing, Jeff? How you doing, sir? Very good, thank you. Thanks for joining me. I'm, I'm glad you're here. And, you know, we, we've had a, a long journey together during your your process. So I'd like to talk to you and, and ask you a few questions and have you guide us through what your life has been like through those five years of fighting the judicial system and, and your cases in particular. Um, do you want to start off with telling us a little bit of, about what you were doing when you were first arrested and to kind of take us through it from the very beginning? Um, Jeff, when you asked what was I doing, do you mean like in life period as far as my occupation or what I was doing at the scene on the arrest? What, what were you doing when, the, when they first arrested you? Where were you? What did you say oh, when uh, you were I was, first arrested? I was, I was down at one of my, at, at the time I was a, a real estate owner and I was a landlord and I owned a couple properties in the city of Philadelphia. And at the time of my arrest, I was down at one of my rental properties collecting rent from one of my, from my tenants at one of the properties. And I was also trying to get some rental repairs. I'm trying to get some repairs done to the building. So that what I was do- that was exactly what I was doing at the time of my arrest. Collecting rent repairs to the building, sir. And, and then, so you, you were at that property and the police raided that, that home, that house? Yes. Yes, I was out. Well, exactly when you exactly at the time of my arrest, I was sitting on the couch. I was sitting on the couch and I was um, collecting rent from one of my female tenants who lived on the second floor. And in all actuality, I was waiting for a pen because I was writing her a rent receipt and I didn't have a pen on me at the time. And that's when the police raided the building. And what did they do when they came in and how did you become charged? Why did they say you were okay. responsible? Okay, well, to, to my understanding, um, the, I heard one of the tenants in the building goes, I heard, like, some commotion going on outside because I was sitting in the common area of the property, and there was, like, some commotion going on, not too loud. I, I didn't hear any police or anything. 
So um, I heard some commotion and a different tenant, not a tenant that I was sitting in the living room with, the common area. It was a different te- tenant from the building saying that they was going to go answer the door. So when that tenant went to the door, he was there talking for a couple minutes, and then all of a sudden, I heard the police just coming in, and they were saying police. I didn't hear like a, a knock on the door, a bat on a ram. I didn't hear them announce police. Me, I was sitting in the living room, and I heard the police just come straight in saying police, and they had their guns out. Wow, that must have been pretty frightening at that time. Well, I wasn't frightened because, you know, I watch a lot of TV and, you know, I, we live in Philadelphia. But I was, like, nervous. And, and I, to be honest with you, the first thing that came to my mind, I thought that it was an altercation or something. They was looking for a robbery or something. I didn't know what was going on. I was kind of more surprised than frightened. I was startled, but not frightened. Okay. You're brave because I think most people would be scared out of their minds, but... I guess, like you say, you, you do live and reside in, or you did reside in Philly, and there, there's a lot of things that go on there. So I think it toughens up people versus some of the, the suburban areas. Yes, sir. So w- when when the, the police came in, they obviously uh, uh, arrested you and charged you with crimes, correct? Yes. Well, I didn't get I didn't get arrested right away. They was conducting an investigation when he came in. They announced, you know, I was looking at them, and I put my hands up. You know, I just stayed still, me and the other tenants, and we were trying to ask what was going on. The police was still turned through the, through the property, securing the property, and they mentioned that they were looking for a light-skinned male with braids. So I responded to one of the police officers, okay, well, it's a light-skinned guy with braids that lives at this property. I don't know if he's present now, but I just got to the property. I told him that, you know, my name was Raymond Seneca Whitten and that I was the landlord. And then they responded to me that they knew who I was. And they, see, obviously, um, to my understanding, they had been watching the property. You know, before they do a raid, you know, based on, you know, what me and you learned through the judicial system, they just don't raid a property. They sit back and watch, and they set up before they do the raid. So they had acknowledged to me that they knew who I was, and um, they had saw me just enter the property about 15, 20 minutes before, and they knew that I wasn't the subject of the investigation. So as they was going through the property, you know, they was looking for the light-skinned guy with braids. That was one of the tenants that I had at the time. He wasn't there. So they was, you know, kicking in the other apartment doors, kicking in the room doors. And, you know, to be honest, Jeff, when me and you learn, I do talk a little too much. But I like to, you know, stand up for myself because I'm a small guy. So I asked the police, well, you know, you're looking for a light-skinned guy with braids. Can, can I see a search warrant or something? You know, y'all just coming in saying police. The police, and I was cooperating with them. And, you know, they just told me to shut up, and they had to conduct their investigation. And to make a long story short, I end up getting searched, and the other tenants getting searched. They was asking me questions as far as where's the guns and the drugs. I said, I don't know where no guns and the drugs or money is at, but I do have money, you know, that I've collected from my rental properties. And they said, well, where's the, the, the money at? I said, it's inside the gym bag. So after they went to the gym bag and found the money, that's when I got arrested. They put the cuffs on me, and they told me they was taking the money for investigation. About 15, 20 minutes later, the sergeant came on the scene. I was told I was going to get my money back after the, rest the investigation. And it wasn't just that I had money, Jeff. But, you know, I, I had my money in my gym bag. Everything was in a professional atmosphere. I had rent receipts. I had my leases and stuff in there. You know, I, I take pride in I, everything I do in life. I try to be, you know, professional at what I'm doing. So, you know, the cops, they seen all that. They dumped everything on the floor. They didn't care. You know, they told me I was going to get my money back. The sergeant came on the scene. I asked the sergeant about when would I get my money back. And, um, you know, he said he didn't hear anything about it coming over the radio that money was taken. I said, well, one of your officers took my money. And he said, uh, okay, well, he was going to investigate it. 
um, the officers tried to act like they didn't take my money. I told them that I was going to internal affairs about it. They said the officer, you know, one of the officers said, well, if you keep on talking, you know, we're going to lock you up today. I said, well, how am I getting locked up? I don't got nothing to do with this investigation, you know, and I continued to protest for myself and not just myself, for the other tenants. And I originally, and the ending result was I got locked up and the police charged me and identified. Now, mind you again, Jeff, I didn't have no drugs on my person. I didn't have no guns on my person. I don't even live at this property. And, you know, all that was documented. I don't even reside at that property. This was a rumor house that I rented out to some of my tenants. But at the end of the day, I was arrested as charged as being the light-skinned guy with braids who was selling drugs on that property. And that's how I ended up getting arrested. And those are, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a, a few good points that we're going we're gonna to touch on later, but I, I just want to highlight. One, it was a multi- family rental property. It wasn't just a single family yeah, home. It was, so a, that's it was something. over the city with that and you know over the description of the property. The property was right. a two story property. At the time of this incident, it was also two mailboxes on the house of the property, right there at the front door. And the chief wanted a mailbox that said first floor and it had a tennis numbers on there, but it was identified by units. Like on the first floor you had um um two two bedrooms on the first floor and on the second floor you had four bedrooms, and in the basement, you had a bedroom, um, uh, 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 one-bedroom apartment. So on the mailboxes, it identified the locations of each unit. That's on the outside of the property. And the property was also zoned with the city as a multi-family converted apartment building. Absolutely, and, and that's important because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring that back up later on in our conversation because that is a, an important thing to remember. So you, okay. you were then arrested, and you were charged with uh, intent to distribute drugs, a gun, what Yes, else? I was charged with my precise charges was possession with intent to deliver, um, possession of, simple possession of narcotics, carrying a firearm in the public streets of Philadelphia without a license, and possession of instrument of crime. And, and I would just, just like to add to that, and, and you can... You can correct me if I'm mistaken, but number one, you did not have a gun in your possession. There was a gun that was found no, there I that belonged to one of the tenants no, I, no, that I did was not licensed, just, no, legally I did not. licensed and, and registered. You know, crazy, and you had, and you had sorry, no sir? drugs and or any um, uh, drug paraphernalia on your personal possession. It was things that were found in individual rooms from tenants who rented from you. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And, and it's even doc, that was even documented on the, the command and the officer's reports. Like, you got a, you know, you got the regular officer on the scene and the collection officer. You know, when you do a raid, Jeff, we've learned that it's, it's 10 or 11 officers and everybody has assigned tasks. You have some people to secure the property. You have one designated officer to collect the evidence. You have the supervising officer documenting everything. So, you know, even though it might have been elsewhere, on the supervisor's report, he documented that nothing was found in my possession. No drugs, no guns, no paraphernalia, and he even identified and signed off on property receipts and police reports the exact locations where the drugs and the drug paraphernalia and all the other incriminating things were found at. And none of them items or anything was found on my person. And with that, with that being said, from there, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, sorry, my phone was ringing and I thought I turned the ringer off, so I apologize to everyone. So it's they okay. then handcuffed you and they took you to the precinct where they processed you yeah, and then took, later 
transported you to jail, correct? Yes, they did, Jeff. And did you did you make um, were you able to bail out at all? No, no. By by a gun being recovered, and just the gun wasn't even recovered with the drugs. The drugs was covered recovered from a completely different location, which was documented, and the firearm was recovered from a different location. And just to touch on this, Jeff, that firearm was registered not in stolen status. It was registered at the time to one of the tenants that that lived in that building. It was there all the time. And um, by me having a firearm charge, especially carrying, you know, because they put the charge on it, carrying a firearm, my bail was 250000 10%, 25000 and I could not make that bail just because it was just too high. Sure. And that, that's understandable. And so from that day forward, for the next five years, you spent in a, in a solid brick cell with bars on the windows, Correct. Yes. Yes. Who, when, when you that, were first that experience, uh, I'm sorry, Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. When you, when this first happened, you reached out to some attorneys. You don't need to mention their names, but you did retain an okay. attorney at first. Is that correct? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I, I retained, and it was, he's a, a high prominent, a very, you know, I went to the, at the time, you know, I started, you know, me, I like to take initiative. I just don't need just the type of person that I am. I like to sit back. And even if I got somebody that specializes that, anything I can do to help is help. So in prison, you have something, they give you resources called the law library, where you can look up similar cases, you can get in contact with attorneys. So, you know, I was going to the law library and I, you know, I tried to look for an attorney that specialized in, you know, weapons and drugs and stuff like that. But I ended up retaining a very good attorney. And what happened with that? Okay, and, and to be honest with you, how I retained an attorney, the how I got the funds to retain, I couldn't retain an attorney, not, not to just jump the gun, how I got to retain, retain an attorney, because I was stressed out at the time, and at first I thought that the evidence was so clear-cut, and I was going to, you know, the district attorney was going to drop the charges, and then it just, it just came out that it didn't appear that way, so I had to sell one of my properties to get money to get uh, attorney and investigator fees. The property that I got arrested at, the city seized that property for me in a forfeiture here because I had tenants living there. Now, if that property didn't get seized, I would have had the necessary funds that I was collecting for my rental income to hire attorney. But I didn't have that property anymore because a couple months after my arrest, the district attorney office seized that saying by me being a alleged drug dealer and by the property being mine, they got a forfeiture process saying that I was using a property to sell drugs and they forfeited, they seized that property from me. So how I was able to get an attorney, I ended up selling one of my other properties at a completely discounted rate just to hurry up and re- retain the funds to get an attorney. And I ended up getting an attorney. So I just wanted to catch you up on that process of how did I have the funds and how did I go about getting an attorney. And um, I was researching, and when I first hired this attorney, he told me, I told him the facts of the case. You know, it's not just my version. I told them what the police had documented. Because, you know, I'm not arrested on my version. You know, it's about what the police are complaining is saying. So he said, tell me what the so I told him everything, and the attorney pretty much told me, you know, if I pay him seventy five hundred, that you know, I'm for most ninety percent chance I would have a good outcome of this case. It was no no police saw me carrying a firearm. It was nothing would cover off my person. That's great for people to understand. Number one, how expensive it is to to retain an attorney, and 
not everybody is fortunate enough to have money like our a lot of wealthy and rich and famous people who have a, 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 the dream team, as, as they call it. So you needed to sell one of your properties just to have the funds available. And what I find, and, and I think our listeners are going to really find this fascinating, is you were accused of a crime, you were charged with a crime. However, before the trial even began, let alone ended, before the trial even began, they seized your property and they sold it out from underneath you before, and I have to stress this, before you were even found guilty, which you never were, and we'll get into that. But <laughs> they took your they took your property and sold it just because. Just, Is that just right? Absolutely right. Yeah. So you you were you sold money and, and you were represented by an attorney. What did you not like about the attorney? Because I, I know you've you've become very dish. If this is fair to say, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you have become over the years, based on your experience, you have been you have become very distrust distrustworthy of, unfortunately, some of the the the, the great law enforcement that we have, and and unfortunately, there are a few bad apples, and we'll talk about there was two bad apples in in your case that we'll get into, um, but not only that. Um, with with a turn with the law enforcement, but you weren't satisfied with the work and and the work product of the attorney and what they were providing for you. Is is that right? Yes. Would, would you like me to get into a little bit of that, Jeff? Or a little bit? Yeah, please do. Okay. Well, the, 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 I had a nice, prominent attorney. He was a very well-known attorney and a good attorney. So I thought in the beginning, you know, this this guy had a reputation for being very successful in homicide and double homicide cases. So I was thinking to myself, well, yeah, this was a little drug case, you know, and he told me I can take care of this. This, you know, the evidence is clear cut and dry. So after I retained, I spent the money after I retained them at this time, I'm not leaving everything in the lawyers, you know, lawyer, let me help the lawyer out. Let, let me research. Let me see what I can find out. And a lot of people in jail, they see loopholes. When I see somebody looking for a loophole, I think of that term as you're trying to swingle your way out of something. I'm researching to look for evidence. So when people say you're looking for a loophole, I don't like that term loophole because it's like you're trying to, you know, like I said, squeeze out of it or weasel your way out of it. I was in there looking for exculpatory evidence, evidence that can clear my name. So I'm at the law library. I'm researching. Time went past. Time went past. I'm calling a lawyer. You know, I, you know, before I got the lawyer, I was talking to him all the time on the phone, secretary. And then when I hired him, everything slowed down. I can't get him on the phone. I'm, I'm feeding him all this information about the investigation and do this. And he promised me he was going to do this and do that. And then he was, it even got to a point, not him, his staff was telling me that this course of action has been completed. This is being done. And then it, it got so bad that I had a bad feeling about it. I even hired my own private investigator. This was before you, Jeff. I hired all my, you know, ladies and gentlemen of the show. This was before Jeff. This was a different investigator I hired to go get the evidence outside of my lawyer. So I went behind my lawyer's back and, and went and got additional evidence that he kept telling me don't, don't do. So I was pretty much in jail, desperate, going broke to try to clear my name. So the, the, when, what made me, what made me want to started to give up on that lawyer was when he, after I paid him all this money and he told me that he was going to, that, that I, we were going to beat the case. And, um, you know, 
when it came down to it, when I went down to a court hearing, I'm thinking we're going to have a motion hearing to get all the charges dismissed before the, for the false warrant that the police prepared. And the lawyer was telling me about taking a deal. I walked into the, the lawyer conference room. I'm excited. I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm confident. You know, I got the butterflies in my stomach. And the first thing that the lawyer says was, well, I got a good deal for you. The district attorney, I just got to let you know this. The district attorney is offering you time served followed by a probation if you take a plea deal. And at this time, I believe I had two years in jail. When I heard them words out the lawyer's mouth, I became extremely distrustful, not just for him, but I came discouraged. You're giving me, if it was like that, if I felt as though that I was guilty, I would have been took a deal. The Commonwealth then was offering deals. So, you know, you telling me what was the purpose of me selling my property? It's a term that people say you cashing out. I was cashing out everything I had to prove my innocence. So it was no reason for me to sell a $50,000 property and do this. So, you know, if, if you can understand where I'm coming from, Jeff. So that made me discouraged. I went in the courtroom and I told the, 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 the judge that, you know, you know, no disrespect against my lawyer. But, you know, if, if, this, is, if this is not going to work out, I, I'm going to represent myself. And then the lawyer questioned me and said, do you know what you're doing, sir? Your lawyer is a very good attorney. What is it your lawyer not doing? We, we just don't believe in the same strategy. Like, so, you know, that's what happened. And that's a, that was a very discouraging process for me because, you know, that, it was like in order to get my freedom, I had to pretty much just give everything away. I was just losing things. I didn't have nothing when I got out of jail pretty much. So the system pretty much sucked me dry. Even though I ended up winning the, we ended up winning the case, based on your investigation at the end, I was, you know, I had to lose everything to do it. But the lawyer, he was saying that the system, that, 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 that I, that I kept telling the lawyer that I, you know, I was being framed, and he said, well, you know, to, in, in my opinion, the lawyer had a lot of other stuff going on, and my case was too small for him, and I didn't like the way how he made me give me, he, he convinced me to give him my money and, and assured me that he was going to win me true justice, and we was going to prove that these cops was framing me, and then when I get in the court, he said he's not doing no investigation, and he's telling me that, you know, uh, they offering a deal for time served. Maybe somebody else would have did that, but I would have stayed in ten years. I would have stayed ten years in jail, Jeff. I was trying to prove my innocence. Raymond, I, I give you a lot of credit because if if you recall the very first time that we met, and at that point you were pro se, meaning you were representing yourself, I sat down with you and I told you I don't recommend that. I don't think it's a good idea, and I listed all the reasons why I didn't think it was a good idea, and it yes, wasn't that I was doubtful. Uh, but it's very difficult to fight the system, to fight the legal system without an attorney. And I know numerous clients and, and inmates become jailhouse lawyers. You know, you go to the law library and you study and, and become really educated, you know, with with your case and with the judicial system. But it's still it's a difficult process. So you it, you had a lot of guts. I, I can't say it any other way. You had a lot of guts and confidence that you were going to move forward on your own. So from that point on, yeah, and once just, we met. And not just that, Jeff, what, you're not, not just me, you know, being difficult for me being pro se, I had to do everything from a jail cell. So that yes. made it even harder. And that made it even no harder because I'm no doing, doubt. it's not like I'm at liberty to assist an investigation fully the way I wanted to. So not forget, Jeff, we put this together and got the evidence together. And it's very, it's very difficult. You know, me communicating with you, and, you know, they monitor all the phone calls. Another thing that makes it so hard that me and you learned, Jeff, the attorney and investigator phone calls are supposed to be attorney-client privilege, meaning that 
they are supposed to be protected against work product. We learned that the, me and you learned that they will record every conversation, even with your lawyers. Now, they can't talk about that, but that gives the DA an advantage because they hear your strategy and they hear everything that's going on. So we learned that. Me and you learned that they record every phone call in there. So the lawyer calls and all, everything is recorded. And the DA has access to that. And if they want to hear what's going on, again, your strategy together. So that's what made it real difficult because when I got, when we got put on game about that, the communication between us came disrupted. It was real hard for me to communicate with you, you know, because you're, you're a very busy investigator and you are serious and you're a business of, you are very serious. And, and when you date, one thing about you, you don't BS nobody around. You tell somebody you're going, they're going, you might take a while getting around to it, but you do try your best. You're not just one of the guys out there taking nobody money. Now, at the end of the day, when I first hired you, you didn't recommend it. I, I was, I'm in jail. So some days my faith was up. So some days if I didn't hear from you, I'll question in my mind, you're integrity, but you ain't a good investigator, you know? So, you know, it's just hard, especially doing everything from a jail cell, Jeff. It's, it's difficult. And I have, I have current clients now that are incarcerated and it's difficult because you don't have that day-to-day communication with them because I can't just pick up the phone when it's, it's uh, convenient to call you or whoever when they're incarcerated. You know, we're, we're working other cases. We're in the middle. We're in the field. We're investigating. We're, we're working that field and working all the leads. So it's, it, we, we almost have to rely on you contacting us. Or obviously coming in and, and going through the process to set up a professional visit, which it, it's it's not easy. And, and for people, for the listeners out there, when you want to go visit an inmate, somebody who's incarcerated, every single jail and prison in the United States has different times and days that you can go and visit within with an inmate. And some are some are Monday through Friday, um, nine to five hours. Some are uh, every other day. Some are even days. Some are odd days, depending on the spelling of their last name. So there's a lot of different loopholes that you need to go through just to meet with an inmate. And when an investigator or an attorney goes to meet with an inmate to with to their client, they normally, from an investigator standpoint, you have to get that pre-approved by the warden of the jail or prison. And so you have to send over a, uh, a request for the warden to approve. And they usually take 48 to 72 hours to approve that request. So it's not like I can just say, you know, today is Wednesday. I want to go meet with Raymond tomorrow at two o'clock because I have an opening tomorrow at two o'clock. It doesn't work that way, which, you know, Raymond, I, I, you know, I've always, I I felt your frustration and I I see it from, from other clients. It's that two-way communication being available all the time isn't always there. Now it's, it's some, some inmates and some of the, um, the lower level federal prisons or the federal prisons, they're now having access to texting and emails and some of the other jails allow emails. So sometimes there's some, some easier communication methods that are moving forward, but it's very difficult. So you're absolutely right. You know, I understand where you're coming from, but after we met and, you know, we, we got on the same page once we, we got our, um, I, I think our objective and, and what we wanted to accomplish uh, we both had faith that the truth would prevail, and it wasn't an easy process for sure. There was information, there was there was fabrication of evidence in in your case and others, 
Um, and from there, you asked me to, to do what need to be done. And you want to talk a little bit about from, from that point on what we sort of in the prep. And it was a long process, I, I think three years after that, where we <laughs> from, right. from start to finish when we became a team on that. Right. Well, when I, when I had you, when I had, I had you, my thing was, was that, you know, it's, you know, practicing law is, is, you know, you, it's, it's a, a tedious process. It's not a hard, you know, everybody learning at different stages, but I knew I'm analyzing and assessing the situation. I know I had one hell of an investigator, but it was about gathering the evidence, gathering the proper evidence that I need and what can put me in the best situation to win this case. And I wasn't just trying to win this case. I was embarrassed being arrested on drug charges. And I wasn't so, you know, it's not that I wanted to embarrass the cops, but I wanted to expose them. So another thing to my strategy, in addition to us gathering evidence, I, you know, I tried to put myself in the shoes of the district attorney. I looked at it, you know, and I emulated, imitated what they did. I just reversed it. So when I seen the district attorney doing something, or the way they was presenting it, I reversed it. I would reverse it and present it from a defensive point. So, you know, it's the same thing if you're playing basketball or football. You emulate, you imitate the greats until you find your own swing and you say you find your own rhyme and then you just catch and just get it going from there. So you was going around, you was digging up a lot of stuff. You know, through the course of the investigation, you know, we found that you exposed, you know, what my, you know, I had you. And I ain't going to lie. I, you can, you cannot say it now, Jeff. You're my buddy. But I think I had you frustrated sometimes because I had you running around like a chicken with your head cut off. And my whole thing was, was that this is the mass as much information that we can. And then once we get all the information, because I didn't want something to go wrong. And then I say, and then what well, damn, I have a regret about it. So let's get everything that we can get. And then if we're not going to use it, we're not going to use it, but it's just best to have it and not use it. And then not have the information and need it. So, you know, you, we, you, you uncovered information where, you know, we found out that three of the officers that was a part of the squad, a part of my narcotics raid, they end up testing positive for cocaine. You know, they end up, you know, quitting before getting fired. You know, by me working at the law library, it was other people. I was working at the law library in jail. And, you know, I'm a little mini investigator, too. So as people come into the law library and I'm giving them legal advice, I came across a couple other people when they said, oh, they was being framed. And I said, okay, well, yeah, I'm being framed. So we'll grab a little bond about narcotic cops framing us. And then all of a sudden it came out. Well, yeah, well, who the officers on your case? And then that person would say the same for on my case. And then I say, and then me, and then me and that person, we formed a bond in there. Like, yeah, okay, we're in the same boat. I got this good investigator. He the best as they come. You know, give him your information, then I will call you up. I might not can't get you, but some way I will make it to the social worker or try to get a, relay a message to you to say, yo, Jeff, I need you back up here. Or if I couldn't get you back up here, you would say, you know, Ray, give me a call. And I will give you all this information. And we come to learn that not only in my case, these same officers was fabricated evidence about confidential informants in other cases. And the district attorney was dropping those cases. So my whole approach was, you know, are they being biased against me? Because I was incarcerated with people that was arrested with way more drugs that had way more questionable evidence. Like I had a clear cut. We had a clear cut case, Jeff. Like these people didn't have all the evidence that we had. And they was only incarcerated for a year and a half, two years. And they'll go down to a court date and the DA would just drop the charges. But with me, you know, I, it took me five years. 
you know. So we pulled up we pulled up that information on the other cases, you know. I don't wanna, you know, throw their names out there, but we had the, the, the court transcripts from those cases. We had the court police reports when those same cops on my case was arresting other people and fabricating transactions and everything. Of drug transactions and the, the district attorney end up dropping the charges. So all this evidence that we was accumulating to show that I was being, you know, falsely, falsely, falsely prosecuted. And I believe that I was being falsely prosecuted because of a number of things. The, the person that they was looking for wasn't there. So they franked me. They stole my money. So they didn't want that to come out. So they wanted to keep me in jail as long as possible. You know, I kept, you know, running, running my mouth, telling them about the law. And it wasn't me trying to be smart with the officers. It was me standing up for myself. I, I work hard for what I do. Like, I'm out there helping my tenants out. And y'all coming down there taking my money and then telling me, you know, if I don't be quiet, y'all keeping the money. I don't have nothing to do with this investigation. And y'all knew that. But the officers just charged me out of spite. I believe that's what it was at first. They just charged me out of spite. And then I just got frustrated when they kept it going and kept it going. And they kept coming to court saying that I fit this description of a light skinned guy with braids. But due to your investigation, you know, I don't believe in just attacking the opponent. I like to clear my name. And that's what that was. The, the whole strategy was let's assassinate their character and prove that these officers are not credible. Once we establish that these officers wasn't credible, then let's put their exculpatory evidence in there showing that I couldn't did it. I don't just want to, we, our game, me and your game plan was, we just didn't want to just assassinate the cops. Because if crimes are out there being committed, people should answer for them crimes. So if I was out there selling drugs, I should take ownership. I wasn't selling drugs. So I'm not taking ownership for nothing I didn't do. So my whole thing was, yeah, we're going to break these cops down and show that these stories are not credible. And not only were we going to show that, you end up, retrieving a, a one hell of a piece of evidence showing that on the day that these cops said that they saw me making transactions, you went, you know, to the judge and you got some excruciating exculpatory evidence showing I wasn't even there during the time frame. They, the police officers claimed that three, four transactions was made during a given time period. I was at the hospital all that day. And so, you know, you, that was a big help with that police, with that evidence that you got. And I believe that evidence you, that you got, was one of the contributing factors to the Commonwealth end up dropping the charges. You know, they knew that the cops, you know, had shady stuff with them and all that. But, you know, they still, I believe, was going to try the case. But I believe, based on the evidence that you obtained with the fabrication of the, of the CI bars and, the, and everything else and the, and the evidence that you obtained, and then you went in there. I couldn't go into the chambers because, you know, I was incarcerated at the time. But you went in there. You argued on my behalf. You presented the evidence. You know, no, no better. I believe if I was in there, I would have been arguing. Me and you would have been on the same page. But you held it down for me, Jeff, and you really believed in my innocence, and you pushed. I'm not going to lie. You pushed, and you fought with them. You, you fought with them just as much because I was fighting in them courtrooms. And some days when I used to wake up, I used to be, my faith used to be down. Am I ever going to get out of here? You know, some days I would take my frustration out on you. But you stood in there, and you worked with me. And based on the evidence you obtained, Jeff, and maintaining your integrity of me, because you know a lot of guys in jail, oh, the lawyer working with the, the, the I felt this, I didn't feel as though that the lawyer was precise, precisely working with the DA, but, you know, I knew that you wasn't that type of investigator. Now, some days, you know, them thoughts are crap in my mind, but at the end of the day, it showed me that you was there for me, and based on that evidence, and you argued, that was a big contributing factor to them charges getting dropped, and not only getting dropped, the judge and the district attorney knew that I wasn't the one making the sales. So I appreciate that. And I can never keep thanking you to this day for the investigation that you did. Raymond, I appreciate that. That's, that's really kind. I thank you for that. And I just want to recap real quick before we're, we're going to take a, a quick commercial break uh, in a minute. But 
So okay. just to back up, what happened was, and, and what Raymond was, was mentioning, is that there were, the, the police were utilizing so a confidential forget, I'm sorry, informant. Jeff, my first name is Raymond Seneca, Jeff. Raymond Seneca, my first name. Ray, Raymond Seneca was being in, this property was being investigated, and there was a confidential informant that Philadelphia was using to make controlled purchases of drugs from this property. And they wrote in an affidavit that Raymond Seneca Wooden was the person who was selling. And they described uh, him uh, with somebody that didn't even look like him. So we're going to pause real quick for a, um, a brief commercial. And then we're going to get back and we're going to pick that up with where we just left off um, from that control from the CI and, and the narcotics police officers or detectives who were uh, tested tested hot for drugs. So we're going to roll to a break and we'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. ELPS Private Detective Agency is here to provide you with security and investigative services. Our specialties include criminal defense, surveillance, security consulting, loss prevention investigations, and more. ELPS Private Detective Agency is a dynamic team of professionals with over 30 years of experience. No case is too small, too large, or too difficult. We're licensed, bonded, and insured. Visit ELPSPDA.com on the web or call us at 877-SEE-THAT. ELPS Private Detective Agency. Fighting theft, fraud, and crime, one case at a time. There are many people who claim to be dog experts, yet they don't really provide a connection between dog owners and their best friend. This is where the BS stops. Listen for Taming the Wild in Your Dog with expert, author, and nationally recognized dog trainer Brian Bailey. Each show has experts, professional trainers, and veterinarians to give you the right answers. Listen for the safety and well-being of your dog. Listen every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access all the time ask the experts call toll free right now 1-866-472-5787 Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your questions that's 1-866-472-5787 thank you for calling voiceamerica.com listening to is there really truth and justice for all to reach jeff stein or his guest today please call in to 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 or you can send an email to jstein at elpspda.com now back to is there really truth and justice for all 
All right, welcome back. I am here with Raymond Seneca Wooden, and we're talking about the process that he had to go through to prove his innocence after five years in, in jail. And just to recap where we left off, the investigation really revolved around a confidential informant who was making controlled purchases of drugs, narcotics from a property that Mr. Wooden owned and rented uh, to tenants. And he happened to be there the day that the police raided the the residence and was later arrested and charged with numerous crimes. What we learned later is that the narcotics detectives had later uh, tested positive for drugs, for I believe it was cocaine, not just marijuana, but if I'm correct, I believe it was cocaine in their system. And they offered their resignation, which is interesting because they continue to this day, to the best of my knowledge, receive a pension from the Philadelphia Police Department for their years of service on the force. They were not terminated. They were not fired. They were not prosecuted. They were not charged with a crime. They simply resigned. And there's there's been a, a lot of that conversation uh, lately in the news, especially with the, the new district attorney in Philadelphia. So the day of the trial, just, just fast forwarding a little bit, the day of the trial, I was speaking to the district attorney and I said, you know, by the way, Mr. Wooden was not even, could not have, have been making that purchase because he was somewhere else that day. He, he could not have been selling drugs when they said that he was. And I had a, a letter documenting that. And I, I verified that information. And she said, I don't even know what to do. She goes, I think we need to go and talk to the judge in his chambers. So we proceeded, the district attorney and I proceeded to the judge's chambers, which, by the way, this took so long that I believe um, this went through three different judges. Am I correct? Or was it two? Three. Three different judges. Three. Right. This went so long. The judges sort of changed um, units. You know, they went from narcotics to homicide or, or white collar crimes, whatever. So this was the third judge and we met in his chambers and I shared what I knew about Mr. Wooden being somewhere else the day that this investigation was taking place. And, and they know the history of the narcotics detectives and some of the other court cases that were dropped because of such. I also shared the information that the search warrant that was used was an invalid search warrant because, as we mentioned earlier, it was a multifamily dwelling. It was listed in, as a multifamily dwelling. And what that means, the search warrant, unfortunately, or, or fortunately, was listed as a single family residence. So they did not have permission to go room to room in that residence. That's the difference between a single family and a multifamily. They were only allowed in a single family to go into, in a single family, they can search the entire house. But this is a multifamily dwelling, so that does not give them the same powers to go room to room because those are all individual apartments. And so I, I shared that information with the judge, and, and the judge looked at the district attorney and he said, I believe that the state should drop all charges. And 
that's what happened. We went back in there. Um, I, I had a brief conversation with Raymond right before we, we uh, went back into the courtroom and all charges were, were nullied, were, were dismissed. So it's, it's interesting, this chain of events that took place. And from there, Mr. Wooden would have uh, had, had the opportunity to go home and be free. But something that, that we didn't mention, and, and we're going to get into now uh, in, in for the few minutes that we have remaining, is that a year into Mr. Wooden's incarceration, he was charged with another crime. A year later, and and that was um, something that I, I'm going to let um, Mr. Wooden discuss. Is there anything else that I missed that you want to add to to the previous case that we were just talking about? Oh, uh, just to focus on when you you was absolutely correct that you know we had a lot of stuff that was wrong with the narcotics case. The, we had the evidence that I wasn't there. Um, we had the evidence that the um, the cops tested positive for cocaine. We also had other evidence that the uh, other cases was dropped due to the police officers lying and saying that the CL made the CI made purchases. And then when you look at the documentation, the CI never made purchases. So we had that. The cop had knowingly, as you explained to the audience, that the single family dwelling in multi the particular requirement in the United States Constitution and the Pennsylvania Constitution is very strict. You gotta particularly and accurately as you can describe where you want to search. It, it, it's not less to the discretion of the officers is the discretion to the judge. The judge gives the authority, not the officers. So not only were you correct, Jeff, when you said that if it's a single family dwelling, the officer knew that based on his investigation, when he ran the property at the beginning of his investigation, even his records told him that the property was owned as an apartment building. So by him knowing that information, he was supposed to put apartment building on a search warrant. He didn't do that. He knowingly put single family dwelling, thus misleading the judge so he can get a quick investigation done, a quick warrant done, so he can hurry up and get in there. So that we had just so much stuff for that case, you know. Even if the DA didn't drop the charges, which I respect that they did, I believe that we would have been extremely successful at trial once the DA, once the jury would have heard, you know, all those things. But that's pretty much covers it all for that case, Jeff. Very good. No, I, I agree. It was, it was a... We had all our ducks in a row and we're ready to go. And, you know, the, the writing was on the wall. It just it took a long time, unfortunately. And, and and that's time that you cannot get back. It's gone. It's lost. You cannot get it back. And okay. and at that point, you let's talk about that. The next case that was on the docket that you still needed to address that you represented yourself again as pro se. And, and this was this was a difficult case. Um, it's very sensitive. And it, doing so without an attorney could be could be a risk. It really, really could be. But again, you had that confidence in yourself and, and what transpired. And we we move forward. OK, that case, Jeff, that you're talking about, that was, a you know, kind of, you know, I, as I sit here today, even though I, you know, got found not guilty of all charges, it's still a, a, a touchy subject to me because I don't believe in I was. What happened was I was end up being charged with a, a sexual assault case. And um, what happened was this incident, the, the authorities, police was made aware of before my drug case. So before I got arrested to the drug case, you know, I was in a relationship with this girl and she, did, she had a, a baby father that I didn't know about. And pretty much she was just hiding a relationship from. Now, I didn't, well, I knew she had a baby father, but 
to my understanding, you know, she related to me that they wasn't together, but in all actuality, she was really much, you know, living with him. So she went to the police and, you know, made a report that she was sexually assaulted, you know, after, you know, her baby father, who she was living with, you know, tried to figure out, well, where was she at the night before? Where did the cell phone come from? And all the stuff that I was buying her and her daughter. Um, you know, the police at that time, this was months, three, four months before my drug case, you know, I talked to the police, you know, I told them about the evidence that I had and they had me under the impression that I wasn't going to be charged with the crime. You know, this is three, four months, you know, you know, before the drug case, Justin, to your audience. So I never was charged with that crime. About three, four months later, you know, the mishap with the narcotics case come. And then a year and a half, about, yeah, about a year and a half after I'm in jail, preparing and, and, and defending against the narcotic case, they recharged me and charged me with that sexual assault case that transpired a year and a half, you know, sometime before my drug case. So, yes, I ended up getting it. It wasn't like a new charge or, or uh, it wasn't like a, a cold case or anything. They were aware of this but had me under the impression that I wasn't going to be charged. And in my belief, I don't think they was going to charge me. But then when I got arrested for the drug, the narcotics case, I believe it came up. Well, he was also being investigated for this. And then the powers that be, the detectives came down and said, well, look, the DA, the DA is going forward with this case, too. And they recharged it with the assault case. That is, it, it, it's unbelievable. Um, and, and the interesting thing about this case, and, and you maintained your innocence this, this entire time and uh, during that time with me, and I, I remained as your investigator for that, that case as well. It, again, it's, it's a very sensitive case. I'm, um, I'm extremely sensitive and feel that this, that crime uh, any type of sexual assault should really carry the, the most severe charge that, that there is possible because it's just not right okay. for for any you know man, woman, or child to be assaulted and you know sexually assaulted. The the what I find um, to be very interesting about your case and and we put on a pretty strong defense. It lasted three weeks. Your trial lasted three weeks, which is longer than the Bill Cosby case. And, the, and not the, that's longer than some homicide cases, just double absolutely. homicides only last that most, long. Most homicide cases, unless it's a high profile case, you're absolutely right. Okay. It, it lasted much longer than, than most cases because there was a lot of uh, witnesses that I know you wanted to put on. There was, there was a lot of defense that you wanted to put on. And experts. Um, absolutely. And, and um, we're going to. We need to watch the time because we're, we're going to come to an end real soon. But what what I do want to say is you, you did something during that trial that was extremely aggressive. Um, it, it was very aggressive, and yet um, there was a risk to what you did, but it, it worked in your favor. However, because of what you did, you were held and charged with contempt of court. And what I find just really blows my mind and I, I'd, I'd love to to hear what our listeners have to say about this so please um, shoot me an email send me send me a message me um, look for us on Facebook on LinkedIn on Instagram and so forth but what's really interesting is you were sentenced to three months time for contempt of court after you just served five years in prison in jail for a crime number one that was no laid that was dismissed all charges on the narcotics case were dropped 
And on the sexual assault case, you were found innocent by a jury of your peers after a three-week trial, and they still made you stay in jail for another three months. Am I right? That's correct. It just shows you how the system, you know, the system, you know, I guess they was angry with me or whatever, but I was just trying to prove my innocence. We had a lot of stuff going on with that trial, tampered with evidence, detectives going in the evidence room, erasing evidence. It was just a lot of stuff. So, yes, I did. I did do a gutsy move, and, you know, I showed the jury. I asked the judge, could I show the jury, you know, some damage and evidence that I had against the investigating detective, and they wouldn't let me do it. So when I was on the stand, you know, I went and did it anyway. And the jury got, they was trying to hide the detective's background to, let right. him, to make him think that he was some upstanding person. And it all came out, yes, and they had me sit in jail an extra three months after I had just did five years after I just got found not guilty of all charges. So even, I just wanted to touch, even right. though I'm not a lawyer, you know, and for me Great representing Raymond. myself, and I'm kind of like, I'm not bragging, I don't want the district attorney officer to be mad at me, but we are, me and you, Jeff, we are a 2-0 against the system. Raymond, I, 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 there was so much, this this time really flew by, we only have a few seconds till the show ends, um, but you're absolutely right, I, I really, I I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to to spend this past hour with me going over this. I think there's still a few more things that we can get to, um, and I'd love to have you on on another show so we can kind of follow up and talk about what five years of your life you lost and, and now what you're doing and, and how we got it back. So thank you okay. again. I really do appreciate it. We have some excellent guests coming up in the next few in the next few weeks, so please uh, – like us, support us, and listen to our show every Wednesday on Voice America at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Thank you for listening to Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? We can be heard Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please join host Jeff Stein for another edition of the program next week. 